This is an ABC podcast. You are seconds away from purchasing a goat, mm. I can tell. Mm. And a raccoon. on. Hi, Miff. Hello, Zan. How are you? I'm excited. It's the final day of Bird of the Year, final day of voting. If you're listening on Thursday, voting ends at midnight tonight. And mm. the last time I checked, your favourite bird, the dirty bird, the superb fairy wren, was out front. Yeah, dirty bird's up up in the lead at the moment. And look, it's been threatening to win for the last couple of years and, and I've been a solid supporter of it. But my choice this year of the bow bird is already out. So clearly I have very little if no influence. Um, <laughs> and also looking, well, they're all looking good. There's really, where at, at the time of recording, this may change tonight, the gang gang cockatoo is, is up there. They've taken away the numbers for the votes. So, yeah, I saw that. So this is sort of, you know, this is where things get tight. It's like the last quarter where they take the time out of the last two minutes on in the footy, so you just don't know what's happening. It's it's all a bit discombobulating, and you get into the spirit of the thing. So, um, we've got the Regent Honey Eater, Tawny Frogmouth, Gang Gang Cockatoo, Gouldian Finch, which is your call, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Still in the game. Is, yeah, still in the game. Superb Fairy Wren, Australian Brush Turkey or Bush Turkey, the Laughing Kookaburra, and the Galah. So. I mean, your favourite's in and, and my my usual favourite is in, but I feel like I need to throw a vote out to the Galar. Oh, Galars are the best. What do you reckon? Yeah, click vote like, right now. Do it. Click, yeah. Um, I know that a lot of people don't like the Galar for the noises that it makes <laughs> and for the damage that it does. <laughs> but I'm here for the Galar. The Galar's a good time bird. I'm really round. interested to know how your attitude will change once you fully immerse yourself in country living. Whether because oh, you know for for city folk you get to enjoy a brighter bird, but if it doesn't wreak havoc on your property, then you've got a different attitude to it. I'm wondering mm. if this time next year, if Country Myth will have a very different take on the Bird of the Year competition. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else when you said Country Myth. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know where your brain goes every week. Oh, I don't know. It's like it's like the term alt country. Have you noticed how they they shorten the word alt, but they don't shorten the word country? <laughs> <laughs> I do, but never on air. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, but you, I'm, uh, I'm loving the birds. I'm loving my birds at my house. It's blowing my mind at the new place. I haven't moved in yet. I've got a lot of renovations to do just to make it a livable. Let's just say my house is a shack. But um, <laughs> um, the birds have just been an incredible constant in the first week. So get on your bird love, everybody. They're yeah, amazing. It's a season for it too when everything's blooming and all the birds are dipping into those sweet flowers. It's It's so, so good. Um, if you are just listening to Bang On for the very first time and you're wondering if this is an ornithology podcast, no. Mm. It is your week in music, art, life and stuff. We kind of make sense of the world um, and read everything so that you don't need to pretty much. And we were quite forced off reading everything that we needed to and catch up on because on Tuesday, Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram, which are all owned by the same person, Mark Zuckerberg, mm had a massive outage that lasted for several hours. I woke up on Tuesday morning and this is how when you realise how automatic your habit slash addiction is. I rolled over, I opened my phone and I checked Instagram. That's the first thing that I did when I woke up. Very bad behaviour. But then I noticed it's like, why is it not, lo- not loading? How quickly did you notice that it was down? 
I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> You're better than me. <laughs> no, I didn't notice until I, because I always go to Twitter first anyway, and Twitter wasn't down. Um, and then I read that everybody couldn't get on there, so they'd all come over to Twitter just to say hello, which was one of the best things ever. <laughs> I realised how many people aren't actually on Twitter when they came on over. And then Twitter put out a tweet saying, hello, literally everyone. And that, oh my of God. course, went just nuts. Topped by Adele saying, hi, your babes. Hi, I babes. Feel like she, <laughs> hi, babes. And then they've just gone, Twitter itself has gone, Adele. Um but I, I feel like she could have just come out with a hello. Oh, totally. She didn't. She didn't need to hire babes. But anyway, like it was brilliant. Maybe, and the the cynical person in me, maybe it was a big marketing thing for Adele that day because her new album's coming out. Oh, look! I think that Mark Zuckerberg le- losing seven million or billion dollars, maybe million. billion. I think we're in the billions. <laughs> I don't think he's go- doing I'm that to help billion, out Adele factual. launching don't a record. Fact check me. Yeah, <laughs> don't fact check me. But no, I feel like maybe Twitter capitalised on it, and they were going to do it anyway. That thread was amazing. I'll put it in the show notes. It gave me so much joy. the The highlights mm. were Adele, which is like one of the most top liked tweets in response. Higher babes, but also McDonald's tweeting, "Hi, what can I get you?" And then Twitter <laughs> responding, fifty nine point six million nuggets for my friends." Uh, Microsoft oh. Teams tweeting. Unmutes Mike. Hi everyone, and, oh. and and I don't know whether I love this or I hate it, but I'm I, I give props to Tampax, the official Tampax Twitter that says Twitter question mark. Guess we'll insert ourselves right here. Oh, <laughs> oh! You could just see social media teams working overtime that day, that, <laughs> totally. and they've got and they've got heaps of time because Instagram and Facebook are down, so they would have all just been scurrying around, going, "What can we do? What can we do? What can we do?" I it's back it. though. I was happy for it to stay down for a lot longer, to be honest, because we all have unhealthy addictions to various social media. Instagram is my absolute um, Achilles heel, and is it? yeah, I was happy. Yeah, it's terrible. I've just I've just changed my screen time limitations once again, mm-hmm. and I've put in a, a passcode so that when I reach the forty five minutes per day, I have to actually enter in a passcode code instead of just saying ignore, ignore. Um, oh. I just spend too much time on it, too much time endlessly scrolling. And I, I'm just just trying to remind myself and also remember I have one life to live, which we'll get to later on in this chat. You've shared a really wonderful piece from The Atlantic. We'll get to that later. But if we're talking about the big things that happened online this week, um, there's not much bigger, at least in the online writers and long reads world, than this amazing piece, Who is the Bad Art Friend?, a long read by Robert Kolker in the New York Times. And it's about this story of the curious case of Dawn Dorland and Sonia Larson, two writers who have, God, how would you describe this? Because it's a 45-minute read. How would you capture this long read? In What's your pitch sentence, Myth? Righto. Um, pitch sentence. <laughs> Woman donates one of her kidneys Um and put something up on on social media about it. Friend uses that to put in a short story, seemingly basing the character on woman who has donated kidney. Raises questions about art and the role of artists appropriating other people's stories. Um, and, and also, 
Oh God, it's so complicated, isn't it? It's it's yeah, other people's story like who can tell other people's stories and how? But also this is just a real exposition on wanting public affirmation for deeds that you do. Maybe not for the right reasons or maybe for confused reasons. I think that the way that you're like you're trying to describe it and how hard it is to describe it is exactly why this long read is a long read. There's so oh, much nuance. Too long as well. <laughs> and neither of them come off particularly well by the end. Can we say that? They're both kind of have some um, pretty bad skeletons in in the closet. I was I saw Sammy Shah, who's a comedian and writer, tweeting about mm. this yesterday and he said, I got bored halfway through and I asked someone to summarise, to which Ben Vernal also on Twitter said, this is how he summarised it. Self-righteous woman appears to have donated kidney for kudos. Targets woman of colour writer who writes a claimed story that was inspired by something Kidney Woman wrote on a Facebook group. Kidney Woman sues woman of colour writer. Group chat is revealed. Lots of people mocking Kidney Woman. That's his summary of the piece. This is good. And, look, Kidney Woman just seems to have no sense of how she presents in the world as well, and I think that's what makes it so incredibly uncomfortable. You could see why she would be fodder for somebody who wants to write a story about someone who has no sense of how they 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 are projecting themselves in the world. Mm. So that's what I feel. She's, I mean, I feel like this lady that donated the kidney. You know, she comes from a good place, but oh goodness me, she's she feels like she's just got a lot going on and she needs to tell everybody about it and i don't know it's that it's that sort of performative element of of her donating the kidney that that really doesn't sit very well with me to be honest well the way the way that robert colker describes it is that the and he's describing this in the way that sonia larson who's written this story that is can be seen to be based on part of the story of Dawn Dorland. Not entirely. It's not a rip of her life. It, it, mm. it is just elements of her story that Dawn feels as though Sonia has plagiarised. She's plagiarised a, quite literally a, a letter that she posted on Facebook about why she donated her kidney and then also elements of, of her own story, a story that she feels that she should have been telling herself. Mm. And the way that Robert Colker in the New York Times writes about it is he says, white, wealthy and entitled the woman who gave Chantau her kidney, and Chantau is the fictional yeah. sub- subject of Larson's story, so the woman who gave Chantau her kidney is not exactly an uncomplicated altruist. She is a stranger to her own impulses, unaware of how what she considers a selfless act also contains elements of intense, unbridled narcissism. And you see that throughout the very early parts of this story, but I think that you gather sympathy for Dawn Dorland when you hear about the conversations that are happening between Mm. Sonia Larson and the community of artists who are kind of mocking her behind her back, whether that's... There is a a bit of gaslighting going on. There is a bit of... But it's all... all, I I think it's all reasonable because um, nothing would be written if we didn't borrow from real life. No fiction would be written if it wasn't borrowed from real life. The writer of the short fiction probably should have owned up a lot earlier about what was going on and that would have been a kinder thing to do. But really what she's done is essentially what all writers have done for since the beginning of time, which is borrow from real life. (laughs) 
but it does raise the question about who can tell these stories. But, you know, Dawn doesn't have ownership over that story necessarily. The only thing that really seems to be a slip-up is that Larson actually put something up that Dawn wrote pretty much word for word, and that has been the undoing, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think that also that that idea of the muse, which you referenced, I was reading another little kind of explainer again, just making it easy for anybody who's too long didn't read because it is freaking oh, long. Um, <laughs> there's a Guardian explainer on on the piece that kind of you know points out that Jane Austen used an old flame as inspiration for Mister Darcy and Dickens based a whole bunch of characters on his his lover Ellen Turnan. But what's changed now is the internet. So online, this Guardian piece says everybody gets to create a bubble where they are the star of their own finely honed story. So when someone else mines their life for a different Mm. story, it feels more like a violation. And I thought that that was pretty prescient. And also the other thing that I was thinking of reading this Robert Kolker piece, which is Mm. the piece itself is obviously causing a lot of debate and – In the piece, Sonia Larson, the writer of this story, says that she wanted to write a story that was like a Rorschach test, one that might betray the reader's own hidden biases. And I was kind of thinking about that as I, when I read that, that struck a chord because I was reading this Robert Kolker piece and thought, does does that, does the act of me reading this also do that? Like, who am I empathising with? Mm. How does that change as I read the story? And what do we see and not see? And of course, the representations of a white writer and a writer of colour and how she sees the world and the inclusion and the exclusion is weaved all the way through this. There's so much nuance. It's so complicated. It's not straightforward. And I just thought the act of reading this long read is a reflection of our own reactions too. Like it's a lot. I know that it, it is, I agree that it is maybe a bit too long. I'm glad I read it. Yeah. I'm really glad I read it too. Um, I was also thinking about the fact that Cat Person, I don't know if you're across this, remember the other online fictional story that went Yeah, we talked about this on Bang On a few years ago. Gangbusters online and and people, you know, were very either for it or or against it or or whatever. It's recently been revealed that Cat Person was based on an actual person, a young woman who went out with a man who was a friend of the writer of of Cat Person. Um, and she mined her life to the point where she actually used the, the same small town where she came from, and uh, and and used elements of their relationship with the of of, her, of the subject's relationship with the boyfriend in the piece. And that's been a fascinating one when it comes to trying to understand who has the right to tell those stories. But I always come back to the fact that it's it's kind of the right of a fiction writer to be able to <laughs> fictionalise stuff from, from their own lives. Otherwise, where, where does it come from? I mean... where Yeah, what else do you live from exactly? That's right. And But you know what's really funny? Someone, uh, uh, Jean Hannah Edelston on Twitter has written a great, a great piece about this. And I think we should keep in mind too that Dorland actually tipped off the New York Times writer about this piece. So if you want to know where the impetus came from, for this piece, it came via Dorland. So I'm not surprised after reading this. <laughs> yeah, and think about where this piece is coming from in that respect, and and I guess who who the journo has to keep happy uh, when it comes to writing a piece like this. Um, I think it's very much from Dorland's perspective, especially initially. It does change in the piece, but um, Jean Hannah Edelston on Twitter has has written this this morning. I think Bad Art Friend is about two female writers getting stuck in a war of attrition over a $425 short story while a man got paid about 20 k to write about it. 
Boom. I know. I know. And and writer Aubrey Herschel also wrote this, kidney got out just in time. <laughs> uh, it's worth reading. It really is. Um, but I just, it's a real story about someone centering themselves in an entire narrative um, that, that, that bothers me a bit. Like no one's that important really, are they? And even when the husband says, oh, I didn't really believe I was this was happening until, and it's like, well, if your husband takes ages to convince then <laughs> there's obviously something going on here. Miff, the other thing that people have been talking heaps about this week, just like one of the biggest discussions of the last week is Squid Game. And mm. this is a show on Netflix, is that right? It's the biggest series ever on Netflix. It's set to become the biggest series on Netflix ever. And it was it's interesting that it was written way back in 2009 and um, a lot of people are sort of posting this as inspiration in that, you know, your dreams may come true or, you know, work hard, keep persisting, you'll get there. But in a way it maybe says something about television and how it hasn't really been understanding what people want and Squid Game is representing that. Now, I'm sad. Sadly, though, I don't actually know what Squid Game is about and everyone's telling us to watch it, but I do know that it makes people incredibly anxious while they're mm. watching it. <laughs> so yeah. I, as much as I'd love to watch it and would love to dissect it on here, I feel like I need to be in the right headspace to watch something as that, that would make you feel so uncomfortable. I, I haven't read any reviews that, that don't say it's it's not like that, so I'm not sure if I, I don't, I'm not sure if I need to go there right now. What about you? Yeah, no, look, we took the bad art friend for the team. I don't know if we can take Squid Game for the team. It's mm. it's the same as when Uncut Gems came out. I think, was that last year? I can't remember. Time has no meaning. But that sh- movie with Adam Sandler about the jewel thief and everyone kept on talking about how anxious it made them feel. And I was like, cool, I'm out. I don't need that right now. <laughs> so mm. Absolutely. I'm, I don't think I'm going to dive into Squid Game. I mean, I might. I'll let you know if I do. But, yeah, I just, I'm looking, you know, I've been watching Back to Nature. I need kind television right now. <laughs> That's mm. all I've been watched. I've been watching watching out the window that's all I've been doing (laughs) exactly (laughs) Uh, but you did speaking of living a full life and getting your head out of the screen and looking out to see what else is in the world around you you shared a beautiful piece which is another great reminder um, by Arthur C. Brooks in The Atlantic, a profession is not a personality. Mm, cop that. This, I mean, oh, God, many, this res- resonated hugely. Absolutely. How many times have you been to a party and, you know, someone will say, the first question is, what, what do you do? Yeah. Um, and that was very much part of, of my growing up, what do you do? And I, I remember trying in the 90s, you know, when I was finding out who I was, trying in the 90s to, to come up with a different way of asking that that question. Or, um, But, it, you know, our society is basically set up around the basis that we are what we do or we are what we produce as opposed to we are who we are. Um, and and this article is, is stating the obvious by Arthur C. Brooks is that um, if you reduce yourself to any single char- characteristics, whether it be work, your profession or your output or, or perhaps even beauty, um, that it is a deeply damaging act, that you will find yourself at the end of this journey of life and that you won't know who you are because mm. you've always put that... You've, you've always put that that emphasis on 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 something else that is not necessarily inherent to you. It's just something that you do. So, and he, and the, the writer's an economist, so this is what makes it interesting because he gets lots of 
complex explanations, he says, of Karl Marx's famous opposition to capitalism, which is um, Marx's reasoning is, is something simple, and this is what Brooks writes. Happiness um, is, is the most important thing and that Marx believed that capitalism made people unhappy by treating them as part of a machine in which the person is expunged and only productivity remains. Um, and, look, some people may or may not be into Marx's uh, theories on this sort of thing. But if we self-objectify, and this is, this is what Brooks says, if we self-objectify in terms of striving for success, um, then that's actually not going to help us because, as we've worked out, when we self-objectify things like beauty or attractiveness, we know that that's not good for your mental health and your well-being, um, and we know that that creates chains around us that that keeps us from actually delving deep into you know who we are and, and what it all means. So, mm. you know, and we've been objectifying ourselves forever, and I think that's a that's very much a hallmark of, of capitalism. Um, and he also uses the example of objectifying objectifying ourselves via our political views. And I think this is really interesting at this time when everything seems so polarized as well. Mm. That it doesn't it doesn't work. It's actually damaging because it it, it closes doors. It closes doors to who you are as a human being. Um, your political views is not are not your personality either you know mm. like I think I think it's a really interesting way of looking at it and when when he used the example of beauty or attractiveness and how much that's been commodified and how much we we self-objectify that like it's so much a part of of how we perceive the world um, and we know how damaging that is I think when you use the same thing in terms of a job or your political views I think we should also acknowledge how damaging that might that could be too I think just that acknowledgement as well that we've been kind of fed this idea, one of the things that he stands out is that in this piece is that he says, you know, people who talk of nothing besides their work are saying essentially I am my job and this may feel more humanising and empowering than saying I am my boss's tool. And even mm. that la that language of being reminded that as much as you love your job and that's valid and, you know, whether you love it or not, ultimately you're completing a task for the benefit of, of usually of someone above you um, for a company, you're a tool, you know, that's the reality of it. It's brutal, but it's the reality of it. And that idea of co-opting that and embracing it, that, that, that word self-objectifier, it almost reminds you to take back control that you've drunk the Kool-Aid, but mm. why? And some of the questions that he poses at the end of this article, because it's not just a, a little short think piece, but it is a something that prompts you, are things like, is your job the biggest part of your identity? You know, is it the way you introduce yourself or even understand yourself? And then the other question of, you know, does the idea of losing your job feel like death to you? And I think that many of us, myself included, think about our life as what we do for our career and then what what happens when we retire at 65 or 70 or whenever we retire? Mm. What happens then? That's something I've been thinking about a lot, particularly of late. Um, and I, I worry when I'm like people are like, what are your hobbies? What do you do? And it's like it's all things related to my job, which is kind of – also part of the fact that I really do enjoy my job, you know, mm. the, what I do for fun is what I do for work, but it's the value in which you place how you do those things and how they relate to your 
Mm. How you're, you know, bang on included. Like this, you know, sorry to peel mm. back the cur- curtains here. We love doing this, but this is also work, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't know. I think I'm, I'm kind of checking in circles a little bit here, but I think that some of the things that he talks about is this, this piece just resonated with me so much and talking about seeking out friends that have got nothing to do mm. with your job. That's something that's really important. I remember when I, um, when I blind dated my, my boyfriend who I've been with for 11 years, he like a, literally we went on a date on uh, via rsvp.com.au. Shout outs to the website that doesn't exist oh, anymore. How, how early 2000s of you. That's amazing. <laughs> it's 2010 or something, whatever it was. But um, you tend to put the death death nail in, uh, in, in RSVP, that's for sure. But yeah. he, he had no idea who I was or what I did. He'd been living overseas for a while and he just had no idea. And, um, at first I was like, oh, he doesn't know who I am. Oh, and the ego took a little bit of a hit, but then it was an amazing feeling because I knew that he liked me for me. I knew that he didn't like me for what I did or what I represented or anything like that. And that was an incredible feeling. And I want to feel that feeling of knowing who I am outside of my job and and understanding that the world's a, a much larger place than the things that I do publicly and privately in, in my working hours. Yeah. It's hard well, though, isn't it? I mean, you, you, I mean you, you've had a massive revelation it. in the last well, year though. I feel like you've really sh- turned a corner with this. I think getting sacked from jobs is a big kicker when it comes to working out who you are and I got sacked from my ABC job uh, two years ago um, and then that was then that I realised that I am but a tool. Um, you're only as important as as they need you to be Um so that was a real shock and I've been sacked from other jobs as well. And I'm saying this on an ABC podcast, but it's true. Um, once you realise that you are but a tool and that it doesn't matter if you come or go, it's it's about what they it's about what you can do for them. When you are working for somebody else, it doesn't you don't actually matter. You can matter as long as 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 they need you to matter, you know? Like you're out the door as quick as they say you're gone. So I think that gave me a massive, a massive kind of, it was a shock. It was a body shock, you know, and, and I, I never thought that I was my career but to know that I was as as is so disposable, I guess when, you know, people think that the media is this great place, you know, you, you really are very disposable. Um, and to to acknowledge that and go, well, who am I aside from that? What do I what who do I want to be? And that was it was terrifying, but I think that gave me a huge, a huge insight into, you know, you are not your job because your job is your job does not care for you. So, you know, I, I think what this article loses though is that the, the joy that you mentioned that we do get from these jobs, mm-hmm. the joy and the spark, mm-hmm. um, it it doesn't really go into that because there is a lot of things that I miss. I missed about the job that when when I got sacked, which was that connection with people and talking to people and ideas and all of that kind of thing. But you know, I think once you get your head around that, it's 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 been really nice for me to go. I want to create a loving family home. I you know, and I don't have a family, but I've spent the last year doing um, doing foster care training. Um, I've I've found myself a property that allows me to enjoy things that I love like birds and nature you know all those things I think you know it is and I have the privilege and the luxury of being able to do that but I also I think it took a great shock to be booted on my ass the way that I was to 
to go, who the, who the fuck am I, you know? What do I want? How do I do mm. this? You know, it's terrifying. So, you know, like I think it's, uh, yeah, I think I think it's, and, and, and maybe COVID has forced a lot of people to really think about that too because, mm. and, and I think it's been really good. But, yeah, I, the, the biggest kick, kicker I got from all of my experiences of being sucked, sacked many times, which probably says a lot about me anyway, <laughs> maybe I'm not that employable, um, is is that, you know, you don't, if, if someone is employing you, you only, you are working for them and it can end as quickly as it began, you know, and, and that sounds really precarious. But once I got my head around that, I was like, well, then I've just got to stop caring so much. And giving so much and being that person because it doesn't really work for you in the end in that in that sense. But I want to enjoy the things that I do do and give it my best, you know, but sometimes that's enough as well. So, oh, God, that was a rant, wasn't it? No, but I, I feel like this kind of that's the, the crux of what you've been talking about over the last year and mm. having known you for so long and known that you've always been hustling and seeing this shift in real time as your friend over the last year and a half, do you? Do you feel like you're entering into a, a second stage, like the second act of your life right now? Absolutely, and it's so exciting. Like that's the whole thing, you know. I don't. I I want to approach the next. This this sounds really, you know, indulgent. I know, but I've been have been thinking about it a lot. I want to approach the next fifty years with the same level of excitement and enthusiasm that I did the first. You know, yeah. Like, why should that stop? Why should I feel like I'm, you know, I'm working against myself? you know and i want to be excited by things and i want to be i want to be intrigued and and not scared and not feeling like the world controls me or my job controls me rather than i control it you know and that's that's a luxury and a privilege i know but i'm going to oh, that's that's the goal i i don't know that's that it's really hard to explain but i just you know what's the point if it's not fun out there what's the point if it doesn't give you a bit of joy occasionally you know I don't know. Is that that sounds really shallow? Does that sound shallow? No, it comes. It comes back. All the stuff I was talking about before, and what I have to keep reminding myself, ground myself, and pull my head out of the noise of every day. There's that that great quote from Mary Oliver, who died recently, and a lot of people were quoting this, but it stays with me all the time. It's so simple, but so true. What will you do with your one wild and precious life? We've only got one shot, you know. Mm. I think that we get caught up in shit like taking people to court for plagiarising a poem, like the, oh, totally. the, the bad art oh. friend, all that stuff. Just like take, it steals time and it steals joy and it's like what what are you going to do? This is a shot and being in such close proximity to seeing you really realise this in, in such real time over the last couple of years has given me hope and really fires me up to think about, well, wh- what will I do? What can I do? And a big part of that, a big part of that realization for me in recent years has been it's not about work. It's mm. got to be something more than work. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this piece. Thank you for sharing it with me. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I do acknowledge that, you know, you've got to work to pay the bills too. There's, there's, yeah, that. that's the kind of boring reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you want to live, it's impossible to avoid work, you know, and sometimes you do do stuff for money. I've, I've been there a million times. Um, but if you can find little sparks of joy that keep you, keep you happy in that, in that really sort of internal sense, I think that's the way around it. And have both. You don't have to, that's the thing. It's not about completely going off and living in a, 
in a hermit existence. Wow, that, oh, a, that's it's, coming. It's about- that's the next bit, Sam. Don't worry. <laughs> It's me and the goats. <laughs> oh my god! You just your reels. You keep on sharing so many reels of goats, and I'm like, you are seconds away from purchasing a goat. Mm. I can tell, mm. and a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we get into bang on this week, uh, I just wanted to share. I got a lot of emails into the bang box about daylight savings. We were still trying to figure out. Oh. How the hell you do it? Spring forward, fall back. It's that old chestnut. So when it's spring, as in, you know, now, what we're in now, you mm. wind the clocks forward and fall or autumn in the Southern Hemisphere, fall back. So you wind the clocks back, spring forward, fall back. So I'm sure I'll forget that by this time next year. But um, I will. Well, all I know <laughs> is that my car clock is wrong now and it will stay that way for another six months. Yeah, it's, it'll change back. It's fine. I'll, I'll be on the same boat. Um, also got an amazing email from Kirsten on the Sunshine Coast, who is Bang fam, and she did preface it by saying that Bang On is the highlight of her week. I will say that. But then she said, I felt a little discriminated against this week that as a Queensland resident, born and bred, you mm. said I didn't want daylight savings. Ooh, then she, then she goes on and says, screw getting up at 4am on Christmas Day because it's full daylight and the birds are going off. Screw it being dark at 6pm when you can spark the barbecue. You. That totally. crap is You're not appreciated. You're in Queensland. You want to stay out late. Enjoy that day. Keep going. God. Kirsten says, bring on daylight savings, I say. I'll even do two hours. Some of my best childhood memories involved Christmas at my grandparents in Melbourne where we were able to stay up until it was dark if we are even able to stay awake that long. I even spent my 20s living there and loved it. COVID is the best thing to happen to Queensland as all the Victorians are coming here and will be so pissed come December 1. There will be an uprising. Amazing. Aww. So Kirsten's COVID silver lining is that the Victorians have invaded Queensland and finally daylight savings will be forced upon the state. <laughs> I love it. I love Thank that. you, Kirsten. That was Thank our you. email of the week into the bang box. We oh, always I love, love that. We need, little, we need a little email of the week. Do, do, do. <laughs> hey, um, what are you banging on about? Oh, I'm banging on about a fantastic doco called Summer of Soul by Questlove. Who... I've heard all about this. Tell me Oh, my more. God, it's so good. So I saw the trailer come out for it a few months ago and it's just gone up recently on Disney Plus if you have that streaming service. He basically found a whole bunch of footage of this summer series of concerts that happened in a Harlem park in New York City in 1969 and he's done the painstaking work of restoring them and now we're seeing them for the very first time and it's not just a concert film which is what it comes out as but it's really a documentary as well it's the story of this incredible series of concerts that happened in a game-changing time for the culture 1969 it was the same year that Woodstock happened that story Mm. has been told multiple times but why have we never heard the story of this summer of soul and they had big names on the lineup too. Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, Stevie incredible. Wonder, Gladys Knight and the Pips. It was incredible, yeah. One of the things that really stuck out to me as well was um, a lot of people through the doco, both artists and audience alike, because they find a bunch of people that went to it back then, even when they were little kids, and they just keep on repeating what it's like to stand in that park and be surrounded by people that looked like them, that they weren't the minority, that their mm. culture was being seen and celebrated. Are you ready, black people? Yeah. Are, you ready? Are you really ready? Yeah. Are you ready to listen to all the beautiful black 
voices, the beautiful black feeling, the beautiful black waves moving in beautiful air. Are you ready, black people? Are you ready? Nobody ever heard of the Harlem Culture Festival. Nobody would believe it happened. And it's really powerful and also just so fun to watch, like incredible performances, amazing fashion, that late 60s, early 70s crossover. Like there are some bright tones. There are some flouncy fabrics. There is some satin. The host of it is incredible. He just wears the most amazing outfits and it's just phenomenal. So if you need a really uplifting and really interesting concert film and doco but also something that will fill the gaps of music history that Mm. are finally being told more and more recently um summer of soul on disney plus it's fantastic yep brilliant what are you banging on about well um i watched three quarters of an excellent documentary that i'm going to bang on about but i couldn't find it on the streaming platform this morning (laughs) to finish it off but it's really good (laughs) um it's the truth about anxiety by celia pacuola and It's her delving into her own experiences with anxiety and um, techniques that that can be used to deal with it. It it seemed really honest to me and something that, you know, I hate the word brave, but it's in order to reduce the stigma, we've got to be open and honest about what's going on. And Celia has always been like that about her anxiety. She did a comedy show about it. So it was a, a really great... Uh, it looks like a really great doco, but I couldn't find it to finish it, so I feel really bad about that. Um, it's on SBS and it's part of this series that I realised is a whole bunch of docos that I've been wanting to see and they're on the list, um, Australia Uncovered. They've already done a great one with Osher Gunsberg on um, depression and that documentary you probably heard a lot about in the last few weeks, Strong Female Lead, uh, which is about politics, Australian politics and the women involved in that. And also the other one is Incarceration Nation. So they've done some really powerful docos and they're on the, on the list. So I'm recommending Celia's if I can finish it and I'm also <laughs> recommending the whole series, Australia Uncovered. But I thought I might end with a little recommendation. I think it would go down as my tweet of the week, Zan. Oh. Tweet of the week. Uh, we're not going to make this a usual thing, but, um, <laughs> it, I mean, we could, we could, but this gave me so much joy and so many questions and confusion. I love you know how that, you just all of a sudden like email of the week, tweet of the week, just yeah. new segments, I'm bang on. New, new segments, I'm bang on. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. It's 1975 here. <laughs> email of the week. Um <laughs> This It comes with this. The highest form of wife guy has been found. All other wife guys can go home because nothing will ever beat the zookeeper with the bird wife whose two previous bird husbands died in mysterious circumstances. And seriously, um, here we go. This poor fella who this thread um, is unbelievable. It's about a bird called Walnut born in a species recovery breeding program in the 1980s um, where crane chicks were handled. It's a big bird as well, isn't it? It's it's like the size of a cassowary. Totally. This is a bird that can do damage um, and clearly has (laughs) with some of its uh, ex-husbands. They raised the chicks by human volunteers and apparently this bird, Walnut, has bonded with humans rather than what they call it imprinting on humans and... um, and do not retain their identity as cranes. So Walnut reckons she's a human. Um, and then Walnut fell in love with her keeper. 
<laughs> and his name's Chris Crow. <laughs> they both arrived at this place at the same time. And apparently Walnut has subsequently, um, oh, they need to breed because she's endangered. Her type of crane is endangered. So Chris thought because she's imprinted on humans and especially him, he should reciprocate by doing the mating dance in order to artificially inseminate <laughs> walnut with her participation and consent. Um, I'm not sure why they couldn't just put her under to do that, but anyway. Um, it's worked and it's worked numerous times. She's had five children, but they've written here, Chris and Walnut have had five children. <laughs> they were raised by other crane couples. Um, and also they've given her boyfriends, but she's she's they've disappeared in mysterious circumstances, i.e. she's killed them. And this bloke, Chris, has accepted that he's essentially married to this bird. Speaking about your job is your life, <laughs> apparently white-naped cranes live to be about 60 and they mate for life, so he knows he can't retire while Walnut is alive. <laughs> she's 36 and he's 42. The picture 42. of this guy is so wholesome too. You're just like, I just wish this guy the best. He's just doing the best he can. It is so funny. It's so funny. But it's beautiful and it's sad and it's like, oh, oh, it talks about, you know, our role in animals' lives and and how how we've messed them up and yet this is messed up but it's also perfect because they're breeding but now they're bonded and, oh, it's a lot but I loved it. I loved it so much. And there's videos. If you go through the thread, there's actual videos of him doing the mating dance. (laughs) That is going in the show notes. Yeah. You have to see this. It will bring joy. It will. It will. I thought I said this wasn't an ornithology podcast. Topping and tailing with the birds. I love, <laughs> But it is. Ultimately, it is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, thanks, Amazing. Dan. It's always good. And I know that this is work, but I I love doing this each week. It, it's, you know, it's been, it's been especially important to me during this time. Like, it's such a connector. It makes, makes me feel like I'm connected to you, but also... Everyone who listens, who sends us emails and tweets, it's. I really feel like it's created a community, and and for that, I am truly grateful. Hashtag blessed. But honestly, 100%. in all ways, honestly, I feel like it's it's such a lovely job, and that's what that article didn't quite get to. You know, we do have jobs, but sometimes they're wonderful. So, you know, and this is one of those. So, thank you. Yeah. Same for me. I was peeling back the curtain in a really brutal way before, but absolutely bang on is the highlight of my week and the bang fam have enriched me in ways that I never, never understood uh, was possible. It just, yeah, it's beautiful. So Mm. thank you for, thank you for joining us to bang on every week and um, we'll see you next week where we'll reveal the bird of the week. Oh yeah. And it's you. You're my bird Bird of of the the year. I should say bird of the year. You're my bird of the week. It's you. Tweet of the week, bird of the year, bang on. (laughs) Perfect. Relevant to all my interests. Uh, See you then. Thanks, Dan. See ya. Bang. 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 Bang on.